G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. If you're into cars, get into Repco. Bloody proud sponsors of the Repco Bathurst 1000. This is Race Control with Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. He was just gone 7 o'clock on a Thursday evening and time for a bit of rebel yelling. This is the latest edition of Race Control with Stephen McIver and Greg Murphy brought to you by our good friends at Repco. Hello, Murph. G'day, Stephen. Ah, hello, Murph. That sounds like you've got your radio voice in. Hello's Murph. Very relaxed, actually. Mate, I'm, you're uh, sitting on a couch. Are you waiting for your dinner to be served there? No, I'm going to have to do that myself later because, I mean, we're on air at just the most imperfect time for dinner, aren't we? Uh, we are indeed, but a pretty good little show. Coming up a short, we're going to talk to a good friend of yours and a man who has a big presence, a big presence in supercars, and that is Peter mm-hmm. Addison from Boost Mobile. I am pretty excited, though, talking our 8 o'clock guest, uh, Brent Stevens, who was Valentino Rossi's spanner man, mechanic, when he was with Yamaha for 56 of his 89 wins. Now, this, this, this is a really yeah. good story right yeah yeah a guy from palmerston north um spent all that time working with the greatest uh, motorcycle rider i think most people would say uh, most successful of, of all time the the goat i uh, would oh. uh, happily put his label on uh, as i did realize so, he'd, yeah, he'd worked uh, with mcdoon as well yeah, amazing stories that uh, these guys have got. So Kiwis and Aussies working uh, side by side over there with um, with some of the greatest you'll ever, oh, ever man, see on two wheels. So cool. great stories. Inside yeah. half an hour, we're going to talk to Greg Brink, a friend of ours. He used to be Mr. Lamborghini in Auckland. Now he's Mr. Radical. Radical racing. These little open <laughs> wheelers that are what? Their, their power-to-weight ratio is ridiculous, right? And I saw uh, a race in the opening weekend of the City Motorsport Park, yep. and it's so cool. But now they're bringing in radical cars here. They've sold a few. Uh, he did text me to say, would Murph like to drive one, I went, yeah, all right. He said I could drive well, I one. I have but- driven one. I've driven one a few times, and they are, um, they're spectacular. They just are, they, they put a smile on your face. Very light, not necessarily overpowered, but uh, they, the aerodynamics and things on them are, is phenomenal. I think the, the SR3, which has got a, like a 1500cc engine, goes around Hampton Downs about a 105. Well, he's, a got, he's got the SR10 demo. So, he's so got the, the SR10. SR10 he's do. waiting for you to yeah. drive it at Hampton Downs. I mean, that's great. Okay, well, no no, no offer of, hey, Stephen, would you like to drive one as well? So, you know, this you is, come for a passenger ride. Yeah, great. Avalon's here at 8.30 to talk about Valentino Rossi awesome and do back. not forget get on the blower 0800 150811 it is the only way you can win the bring in the Bathurst $800 yep. prize pack so just get on the phone 0800 150811 we Want some thoughts? Because I'm yeah. going to be opinionated later I, I, on, and I'm, we want your thoughts on things. I'm tired of people sitting on their text machine texting. I want you to actually tell us that you're human and that you're not an algorithm. That would be really cool. But let's 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 move on because our first guest is patiently waiting by. And he's the guy that said, well, Murph's been paid, so he better be coming to Bathurst in 2020. <laughs> the man that founded Boost Mobile, Peter Adderton, joins us right now on Race Control. Peter, thanks for giving us your time tonight. Hey, how are you guys? Mate, we are good. How are you, Murph? Yeah, good. Thanks, good. Pete. I'm, I'm, the invoice is in the mail, by the way. 
Oh, yeah, that's no, no problem, Greg. Well, uh, hopefully uh, we can pay you to actually do something rather than just work out in the gym. Jeez, that's harsh. Hey, Peter, it's Stephen here. Um, I'm intrigued to know right from the get-go, where where did your interest in motorsport come from? Mate, so it goes back to the days when I was actually uh, a kid. My dad absolutely loved uh, car racing, and I would sit there on the uh, – I would sit there on the um, – on the couch watching these guys and uh you know dad would like cheering them on i'm like so i basically when i was five or six years old we'd sit there and watch it um and fell in love with motorsport love the action love the adrenaline love the competition really thought it was great so yeah it was all fun but then you get in the position to support people right boost mobile comes around and selling you this present so how did you what was your initial engagement with one g murphy well, it, it starts back in the day. I think Greg told the story a few times, as I have, is that he was running around the track. He was a young kid, um, like most young kids in, in motorsport in New Zealand, had come across to Australia with like $3 and had uh, spent 5 And so when I met Greg, he was sitting there. I think it was his last uh, race. He wanted to finish the championship. And he basically had that tent that um, you always look for as a team owner or a sponsor. So you're always looking for the, that edge. And, and, and Greg had it, and we saw it. I and mean, he wasn't in the best equipment but he definitely was the fastest. So um, I went up to him and went into the pits. I said, mate, I've got a car that we're going to be racing in Phillip Island. I said, um, we don't have a driver. We need someone who's young and fast. Do you want to do it? And um, I think Greg looked around and looked at his other options and said, well, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> what, 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 well, that pretty much was the only option. Yeah, but what impressed you about him? I mean, yes, yes, he was fast, but that's just not part of the deal. They've got to be good blokes, don't they? No, they don't actually. And so, you know, any athlete I think that is any good or is better than the next guy has a level of arrogance about them, right? And you need that. You need to believe you're the best and that the world's basically challenging you to, to prove that. And, and so Greg had that when I met him. So He's still you know, got it. You've seen Greg's career. You know, he's still got it. And you know what? Hopefully he never loses it because at the end of the day, you need that. You know, I... Always just to look at, you know, athletes. I spent a lot of time in America, and you'd see the athletes that would walk in who probably didn't have the same amount of talent, maybe, as some of the others, but they, they you know, had this talent that when they walked from the court, everybody knew they had arrived. And so when I looked at Greg, Greg had this, like, almost like I should be first all the time. And so he had that drive of, like, and I love that. Like, I love that about drivers, and I love that in business. So when I saw Greg, it was that little extra edge that he had that I think really separated him from everybody else. And obviously he went on to prove that we were right in, in backing him because he did some pretty amazing things. Did he deliver on those that, those early days for you, though? Oh, he delivered uh, 10 times. And then I actually moved him in. I took over the factory Audi racing team. And so I said, Greg, here's a full-time drive for you. And um, I've got some great classic stories there about... Uh, now, Greg was always fast. He never got to test the car. He'd just come along and, he, and he'd be fast. And those who know Greg know that, um, you know, he can be very impatient. And uh, yes. so a lot, a lot of times he gets it. No, he sit there and he go, I never got to test the car, Peter, but the other driver did. And, and so I do believe for a second there that they actually swapped the car on Greg, that he was going so quick that the other driver actually went in and took his car out from under him. Um, they looked the same, but I'm sure they didn't feel the same. So, no, he, he went on to obviously do great things. And we knew, by the way, at the Audi racing team that eventually, you know, someone in the supercars would look at Greg uh, and go, OK, we want him. And obviously Holden Racing Team came and got him pretty much straight away. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in because Greg's just listening to you at the moment. He's letting me run the show for the moment, which is a rarity, <laughs> as you know. Uh, but you yourself, yeah. did, did, were you a racer? 
No, I, I actually quickly worked out. I actually did a race with, I think, Greg in a go-kart. Um, it's a seven-hour, ten-hour race down in Wollongong. And and I quickly realized that I was probably better to be putting the money into the sport yeah, rather than driving it. I just was not... Uh, I didn't have that, that level of... And I'm very competitive, Greg, I'll tell you that. And so for me to come fourth or fifth in anything, I'd just rather give it up, to be honest with you, than basically try to spend the money to get the first. Okay, so 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 now so you create Boost Mobile. I, I was reading up, and, and it's interesting. It's interesting that it's, it's not a monster brand, right? And, and I, I and please don't take that the wrong way, but the way that you use Boost, you would think it's on par with Telstra. That's how good you are at what you do. Well, you've got to remember the Boost is not just in Australia. Yeah. We're actually the fourth largest telco in in America. We've got over nine million customers. Okay, there. Well, I've just been it's put the on the number ass. one indexing use. Yeah, it's the number one indexing youth brand in Australia. I mean, we, we, we're in the youth market, we're, we're strong. Um, so, yeah, we are on par with, you know, the Optus, Vodafone, and, uh, and Telstra, and that's through, through marketing. And I always say this, that uh, if you look at the, you know, the new world that we live in now, right, with all the social media platforms that are out there, you know, kind of niche has become the new mainstream. So Bruce was a niche market, but it's actually become mainstream. If you start looking at, you know, TikTok and Snapchat and a lot of these other platforms, they all started out as niche brands and basically became the mainstream. So I think what we've seen is a transformation of the Boost brand of being this niche youth brand to basically now being a, a mainstream brand, both in America. And you walk around America and talk to anybody, we've got over 7,000 stores there. And you look at what we're doing here in Australia. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a small niche brand that's actually hit the mainstream. Well, it was in New Zealand for a little while. Uh, would you consider bringing it back into New Zealand? Because I think it was under telecom for yeah. a while. Yes, and in fact, we actually had a call with Telecom New Zealand. Um, I, I, I think they rebranded them. They rebranded themselves. Spark. Um, and so we had that call. Spark. So we had that call with them. We said, look, we want to bring the brand back. I think it would be uh, strong and positive. Um, so yeah, I, I would absolutely love to see it come back. We went in New Zealand a little bit too soon. We were only new. Um, mm. Back in the days when Telecom New Zealand was there, and they were kind of stretching their legs into Australia through the AAPT uh, acquisition, a few other things. So the timing didn't line up, but I think the timing's right now for Boost to come back into New Zealand. I think New Zealanders would embrace the the brand and the approach that we have to the brand. Okay, so Pete, we've set up who you are and your relationship with Murph. Now it's ten past seven. We're going to take a wee break, then we're going to start talking about supercars. All right, so stay with us. This is Race Control with our good friends at Repco. Murph has hardly said anything. Bonus points for that at the moment. Back in a moment. Seven fourteen. This is Race Control with Repco, Stephen McIver, Greg Murphy, and Mr. Boost Mobile himself, Peter Adderton. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. If you want to win that, bring in the Bathurst race pack worth eight hundred dollars, and we are closing in on Bathurst. We'll give it away just before Bathurst. Get on the damn phone. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Uh, Pete, uh, I'm finally going to actually say something now. Uh, um, it is awesome that uh, you have thrown your weight behind supercars. As, as you said before, you're a huge fan of motorsport, have been for a long time, but you did spend a lot of time building the brand in America and, and focused on that. But then, you know, came back to Australia, saw what was on offer, and you jumped in with two feet. What do you see about supercars that, that gets you and the brand and, and what you know excited about sport? I think the passion of the fans. So, you know, when I look at anything that we do, 
there's such a passionate level of fans, whether in Australia or New Zealand, and, and they feel, you know, you look at their comments and the way they communicate, they feel like they're part of the, uh, the, the family. So I, I love the passion. They're loyal. Um, you know, when I did the Supercross in America, we always knew that they, they were some of the most loyal customers to the brand. So when I look at what happens with Boost and the sales that we've seen, the Boost's experience, it's been, it's been phenomenal. So, um, yeah, look, it really comes down to the passionate fans and they support the sponsors. And that's why I think that if you're a sponsor of supercars, um, you do get to see that you do reap the benefits. And that doesn't always happen, by the way, when you sponsor events. You don't normally see the, the reaction. And, we, and we've seen that with our, our sales. You you were going, you took a pretty big step in the last couple of months and put a bid in to actually go and buy supercars. Why did you want to do that? Well, I felt that the owners who, who owned it, which was a private equity firm, didn't care about it. And it was obviously clear they didn't because they ended up selling it. And so I felt that we could really grow the sport and make it bigger and better um, because we were already investing millions of dollars into the sport through sponsorships. I felt that we could get in there and, and really turn that around. And you always know that when you've got an owner that doesn't really care that much about it, um, it's never going to be able to grow. So we saw this was an opportunity for us to dive in and grow the sport. Um, you know, obviously we didn't uh, pay what they wanted us to pay, but we still believe that it was a great opportunity for us to get in with a great consortium of McDoon and... Um, and Alan Gow, who ran uh, the British, who runs the British Touring Car Championship, so we had a, and with News Corp as well, so we had a very strong wow. consortium. But um, you know, just purely because we wanted to see it grow and continue to grow. And so, what do you reckon? Uh, I know you were disappointed about uh, not getting that, that opportunity. And now, obviously, there's a new consortium that has bought into it all. And over the last uh, few days, in fact, um, you have been catching up with these people and talking about the future of the sport. Um, we, 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 where's your impression currently about uh, their direction, what they're thinking is for the future? Well, the, the jury's out for me, to be totally honest. I mean, when, when you sit down and talk to these guys, you know, you give get an hour um, it's really going to become, come down to the proof's going to be in the pudding. Right? It's going to come down to what we see, what changes we make. When we roll up to Newcastle in 2022, the first round, what's going to be different to when I roll up to the Sydney Motorsport Park this weekend? And, and so I think that that's going to be, you know, everyone can, can talk about what they're going to do. Uh, execution is going to be the key. So I'm going to reserve judgment until uh, I actually turn up to the first event and, and see what differences and what changes have been made across digital. Obviously, we're going to engage a new audience. Um, what the difference in experience is going to be like for families. I don't think they've changed the experience for families um, at all. So we've really got a we've really got a lot to uh, a lot to see and how we want them to put it together. They are making a big deal this consortium about being a lot of people that know racing. But when, when you tell us who was in your consortium, you go, well, it must have simply come down to the number on the piece of paper. So what were you specifically going to change to make it a better experience? All about that race day experience and also better for the, the competition itself. Well, I think there's three things you've got to look at supercars that I think are challenged right now that they need to fix, right? And I think the first thing that they need to fix is the show, right, the entertainment factor. And I think they're trying to do that with a Jam 3 car. So that's the first thing that they would fit. I think the second thing that needs to be is the experience for the families when you turn up. So, you know, they haven't, they haven't changed that experience for the families. And then the third one is digitally, right? How do you engage a new audience? The new audience is not watching traditional television anymore. They've moved to a, a bunch of different platforms. So I think they're the three pieces that we would have addressed fairly quickly. So the show, the entertainment factor, um, I just find that, uh, you know, the show itself 
you know, can be boring. In fact, we had probably one of the best races I've seen on Sunday last week. And it basically happened because the driver ignored what the team was telling him to do. <laughs> so I think that if you look at everyone going, that was fantastic. And I said, well, actually highlighted to me the problem with supercars. And that is that everybody's so uh, politically told what to do and how they operate their cars and how they operate their teams that they think about the entertainment factor a second. And, and what you're effectively going to have if you race in a, in a vacuum like the teams do is you're basically going to have every race will become a test day because right? no one will turn up. So the fact that people have to ignore what they're being told to do to make a great race, I think, is a, is a fundamental problem. Um, but it was good to see, and uh, hopefully we see more of it. So we, we were going to make some pretty big changes. You've got to invest in the sport. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what these guys do because, you know, supercars has some challenges, like every sport. It's a very complicated um, sport. So I'm going to be interested to see what these guys do to turn it around. How much, uh, how much NASCAR do you do follow and watch? Oh, look, I, I love that. You know, Boost was originally in, uh, in in NASCAR, so we did some, some good stuff there. And it's funny, I was actually talking to someone today about that, and they were kind of comparing, trying to compare, you know, supercars to F1. I said, oh, no, you've got to compare it to NASCAR. I said, before you even turn up, when you get to the parking lot of NASCAR, there is an experience and a vibe and a buzz that you just can't put your finger on. And I said, you don't even need to be a car enthusiast or even care about car racing. You'll come away from a NASCAR race feeling like you had a great experience, a great day. So to me, that's that's absolutely critical. I think as we um, as they move forward. But yeah, I, I love, of course, I love NASCAR. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we've talked a bit about that in the last few weeks. I mean, what a show it was uh, this year. We spoke to Dale Earnhardt uh, a couple of weeks ago about it, which was fantastic to get his insights. And, and just how they, uh, you know, the drivers are free to to engage and be controversial and be outspoken. And it's, and it's you know, it's promoted. And, and we need to do more of that. What you said before about Jamie and, and Shane on the weekend, what Jamie did was just fantastic. It was brilliant. It was a great talking point. And also, um, I don't know if I mentioned it to you, Pete, or not, but, but what Craig Beard has been doing recently just with allowing a bit more touch-up, a bit more, you know, push around the place and, and uh, not be so jumpy onto certain and small things that that really shouldn't be be um, you know penalised. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a big part of where I think it needs to needs to be heading. We've got to look more at NASCAR, and I think uh, Sean Seymour is very supportive of that, and hopefully the new owners will be. Well, look, you're right. I mean, credit to Craig because Craig gets beaten up now and then when uh, you know when yeah. he pulls up things, and he, he has. He's basically taken his finger off the switch, and I think that that's been a good thing for the fans and entertainment. But but as I said, Greg. The reason why it was good last weekend is because they basically, you know, Jamie basically ignored everybody that was telling him to to let go. Now, if, if he had have accepted what they said, then Wincup would have gone around him because he was clearly the faster car. He would have taken Brown and we would have had a one, two, three with no racing, right? And so we've got to look at it as a sport and go, what Jamie did was create a real race. And I, I'm a believer that if, if you have team orders, and you use them, you should be penalised. You should be penalised 10, 15 seconds. It's almost like you want every car to be a single-car team. Right? So they race each other. And, and, and we saw that. And so we've seen that the sport can be entertaining and it can be fun. We've just got to let these guys race. And, you know, Craig's doing a great job, I think, over the last few weeks of letting them do that. 
Uh, thanks, mate. Uh, I mean, for, uh, finally, uh, let's just touch briefly on, on obviously uh, the wildcard situation and the fact that uh, it hasn't gone ahead. But also, can you tell us about any plans you do have for 2022 around Richie and, and Boost and, you know, where you might be uh, investing your money next year? Well, we're looking right now. We've got a couple of teams that are looking to put us, um, obviously, uh, to do a deal with. And so we, we haven't decided which way we're going to jump there. But Richie's a talent. And I want to see Richie, whatever we do next year, we'll include Richie doing a wild card. Um, I'd like to see him do at least, uh, you know, at least three wild cards. And then obviously, Murph, um, you owe us. So you're coming back to do Bathurst. <laughs> and uh, even if you don't like it, we're going to kidnap you and put you in there. But you're going to absolutely do Bathurst with Richie next year. I think the fans want it. They expect it. And obviously, COVID uh, caught us up. But um, I'm not letting you off the hook, buddy. You will be there. Um, and uh, I'll make sure that every New Zealander forces you on that plane. So you're, you're coming. Yeah, that, that, that'll do us, Peter. I appreciate it. Mate, thanks so much for your insights. So I, you know, I, I, and, uh, listening to you and who you had backing you, it, I almost feel uh, disappointed that the other crew got, got the, jo- the, the supercars because the way you're talking, makes it makes a heap of sense, my friend. Well, look, you know what you should do is get the other side on the radio show and see what they come up with. I'd love to hear that as well. Uh, very good idea. That's you. Well, you can be our producer as well. Hey, Peter, thanks so much for giving us your time and uh, Bye, guys. have a great weekend, mate. Thanks, Pleasure. Peter. You too. Peter Addison. Peter Addison, Mr. Boost Mobile. Mate, that's it's fascinating, right? And you know, when you break it down, I, I wrote that down. The show, the experience, and how people are receiving the product, Murph. It's not difficult. And he made a really good no, point. No, the no. really good point he made was about NASCAR. As soon as you walk in those, drive in those gates, it's on, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they do put a lot of effort into it. And, hey, listen, it, it's, it is challenging, though. I mean, it, it's very challenging to try and keep reinventing something, right? I mean, what's rugby done to reinvent itself? But yeah. we still watch it. Um, I mean, <laughs> but we come and go from various things. And, and racing is... There's certain parts that I think we yeah it can be done a lot better. And one one thing that has happened in supercars to take away maybe some of the entertainment is the cars have become. Way, and we've, I think we've spoken mm-hmm. about this before, maybe on Sky Speed. The cars are way too complicated, overcomplicated. Too much money can be spent in certain areas, and then it all comes down to the uh, how much money you've got to spend on people and 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 do things that way. We don't need to be doing that. GT, uh, sorry, what is it? Um, uh, next gen, generation three, um, should take that stuff away. They need to make sure that it does and that the competition um, can be spread further amongst the field and more people in the field can have that opportunity to stand on that podium on a more regular basis. It's got to be mixed up. But but we have seen some good stuff this year, but we've got to keep improving. Got to Absolutely say, keep improving. I've got to say, Murph, I love the fact that he's really, really keen to see Richie back in a supercar. That must, that's oh, a re- it's a really nice thing to hear, though. Like because yeah, because we, we you know because you and I both know that Richie probably got a bit of a rough deal and we've seen him Not since probably. and and percent and the last time we saw him was in Cambridge when we were shooting well I saw him anyway was in Cambridge with you shooting a show and and we both said wow he is in mm. such a good space and the fact that yep. Bathurst didn't happen you go man you know talent two talented drivers it would have been fun all righty now's your chance on race control with Repco to be a winner here's how it works. Oh, 0800 150 811. 0800-150-811. And a simple question is this. If you had the chance, what's the one thing, the one thing you would change in supercars? 
your thoughts right now and go on the draw to win that Bring in the Bathurst $800 prize pack. 0800 150811. Go on race control. on Race Control with Repco. Stephen McIver, Greg Murphy, four-time Bathurst champion. And time to talk radicals. Now you're going, what is a radical? Well, believe it or not, a radical is a very cool track day race car. What you Murph, you'd call them open wheelers, wouldn't you? You'd call them open wheelers, even no. though they've got mud guards no, over them? No, sports car. They're a sport? No, it's a, sport, it's a sports car. Okay, yeah, sports so, car. I mean, open, open top sports car, you know, sort of... Um, it's just a smaller version of what we are used to seeing in WEC when they didn't have roofs on them. Um, sports prototype kind of thing, but just a, a smaller version. But they are hugely successful, huge, beautifully built, and, and incredibly fast. And they are now available in New Zealand with a gentleman that has, has got radicals. is called Greg Brink. Pretty handy race car driver himself. Used to be Mr. Mm-hmm. Lamborghini. Now he's Mr. Radical. Uh, hello, Greg. Hello, Stephen. Oh, wow. Are you okay? Are you, are you, where are you? You sound like you're in a dungeon somewhere. Oh, that's right. Cambridge. Oh, no, no, I forgot. No, I'm, out, I'm out in the country a wee bit, so probably not the best signal, uh, but it's uh, great to be speaking to you guys tonight. Oh, my goodness. I thought Cambridge had better, better uh, coverage than that. But, hey, it is what it is. Hey, look, talk to us about the history of Radical, just to give people a, a true understanding. Murph's, Murph's given a nice praise, but what's the history behind them? It started uh, 27 years ago, um, actually in Petersburg in the UK, a guy called Phil Abbott um, decided he wanted to, to build a, a car that would be accessible to the, to the masses, uh, but something which would be very specialist, track-orientated car. And essentially the modern-day radical is very much um, still rose to the original build from back then, and they've just evolved and refined the car over the last 27 years, and of course we've just landed the latest version of it, which we're really excited about, the SR10. Oh, the SR10. 425 brake horsepower, 380 pounds oh, of torque, oh, okay. and 560 brake horsepower <laughs> tons. Sorry. I was just looking at him going, you're letting Murph drive that. The numbers, the numbers are crazy. The numbers are, are nuts. How much does it weigh, Brinky? Uh, 700 kg. Oh my goodness! When when do I when when do I get to have a play? Uh, well, as soon as you're available, mate. I've got it. We've got it all set to go for your hands and down. I'll you, see you next week. The, uh, <laughs> sounds good. I'm looking forward to see what you think. It's a, it's a bit of a buzz, I have to tell you. It's uh, pretty special sort of car. Okay, so so the important thing to understand here is that I would suspect they're not exactly cheap. So what market are you aiming at here? And, and honestly, what what is a radical going to set you back? Well, of course, to answer the first part of the question, for me, I've been involved in motorsport in my life, so um, in having spent many years with dual tracks with Aston Martin and Lamborghini, we ended up with um, a lot of customers that wanted to do more track work. And of course, they take their Aston Martins and Lamborghinis to the track, and they do that for two or three or four times and realise it wasn't the right thing because, you know, obviously the brakes and the tyres and things. And uh, with what... Uh, Obviously, Tony Quinn's done here in New Zealand with the GT Members Club. We sort of felt there was a bit of a niche there with the market to provide a, a not only a car but a full backup parts and technical service uh, with a car like Radical for the purists that just want a, 
dedicated track car that will give them the ultimate uh, experience. I think to add to that, more importantly, you've talked about price. Um, the biggest benefit, really, for a car like this, without trying to sound like a salesman, uh, is, is the low cost of running. Naturally, with something that's light, um, it's going to be easy on tyres, easy on brakes. And, and already, we've found, since we've been doing this for 12 months, the, the guys that have got them, that's been the biggest uh, benefit. And also, the longevity of the, of the engine life is the other, other big benefit. So to get into a radical um, brand new car, you're talking um, That's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, you can buy. Uh, well, you think uh, about you think about what people are spending out there, Stephen, on on various things. You think of a GT4 car. You think of a GT3 car. You know, we're talking you know two, three, four times five. Sometimes you know upwards of eight hundred thousand dollars for a, you know for a GT3 car and stuff. And 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 you know you, you're talking speeds that are, are are quite similar. And the buzz, the thrill, your head sitting out the top of one. You know, your helmet is actually in the airflow. Um, if you've never experienced that before, eh, Brinky? It is that's something to behold, especially at the at the warp factor speed that um, <laughs> these little cars travel at, eh? You're really close to the road. Your head's buffeting. I mean, the biggest thing for me when I got on the car the first time 12 months ago was I just couldn't believe that the G's through the corners, you know. I've got this sort of halo head base in there. And after about four hours, I keep my head up. Um, just uh, such a exhilarating feeling to drive. Are they, they they stick to the road like glue, right? Yeah. Well, the sales still with the wings and slicks, and the sales still go, the more more downforce you generate. So, uh, you know, we get someone like Andrew Wake or Tom Alexander in that little 1500 SR3, and they're looking very close to the GT3, Paul Works GT3 car times with a 1500 cc engine. So it gives you an indication of the, of the you know, the, I guess, being, being for that performance of a car like that. Do you have learner radicals? <laughs> With like, with like safety safety keys, you know, like for someone like me, because you've actually said to me, "Oh no, you can come and have a drive." Yet the last text was, "I've got this SR10 for Murph to drive." Actually, I'll take that back, Stephen, because what I think we can do the benefit of the SR10 is you start at 200 horsepower and then turn it up um, in, in 50 horsepower increments till you get to 450. So. I think we'll start with 200, should be fine. Oh, so, so that's, okay, so you're now promising that I can drive an SR10? Uh, yeah, as long as we keep it at 200 horsepower, more than happy. <laughs> now, that's okay, that's fine, I'm okay, because they look like a heap of fun, and I'm always the one left on the sidelines, because Murph's answer to this was, well, you can sit in the passenger seat as per normal. Like the single seaters, I've got two seats, so you can get a, you can get a car like that and get your best friend or your, your wife or your mother-in-law in the passenger seat. And or your or your co-host. Like yeah. Hey, Brinky. Or your um, co-host. It's I mean, we're pretty excited about this. I know we've been planning to come out and shoot this uh, radicals for Sky Speed for a long time, but uh, COVID is holding Ooh. us back. But we will get there, mate. Thanks so much for uh, no, hold on. giving I, us. I just want to. Well, I, I just actually want to hear... ask Brinky. Okay. Right. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I'll just quickly, Sorry, uh, hopefully we can hear him, but um, um, I just want to, being that you are an aficionado of uh, all things motorsport and you are a big follower and you watch uh, the likes of Formula One and stuff, I have I was watching Brazil last weekend, I watched Lewis Hamilton win that race, but one thing that I, that stood out to me is is the over 
overflow of opinion and, and comments from people about what an amazing job this is going to be one of the most memorable wins in his illustrious career and you know what an incredible job to drive from 10th on the grid to win the Grand Prix and blah 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 and, and Brinky I've got to say that that didn't really impress me at all. I, I just looked at what he was using as a tool to, to do the job, which clearly, um, for anyone that's got half a brain, you could realise that that Mercedes on the weekend was, was by far the best car on the racetrack. Um, did you think that it was a, a groundbreaking, most amazing achievement by Lewis Hamilton on the weekend to win the Brazilian Grand Prix? Well, it's certainly an achievement. And, um, you know, yes, we're but... You can't help but think there's a pattern forming here with lots of the recent uh, races where uh, foregoing the the, the, um, the good position to go back in the grid that are being used. And, and I don't know if you watched some of the interviews, but Toto did acknowledge that um, it, it's you know, a significant advantage to have a free season. And, and to me, that's what played out in that race. Um, I know Max took one about four races or three races ago, took a penalty for having a new engine, but it mm. seems to me that the, the penalty on the grid is not really enough penalty for them to have in New England. Yeah, you just basically take their wheels off. They probably still win the race anyway, those Mercedes. Hey, yeah. Brinky, thanks so much for giving us your time. Best I of luck with those. One, one quick point, though, I wouldn't mind mentioning while, while we're on here, is that we're, we're doing the road show through New Zealand starting um, on the 3rd of December, and we're, we're going down south first. So anyone that's interested can go to our website and check out what, uh, dates and what times we are, what tracks that we're essentially covering Royal Prina levels um, and then uh, we're doing Highlands uh, and then hopefully, hopefully Tiratonga if you get to confirm that and Manfield as well so keep an eye in the, on the website for that and anyone is more than welcome to come along and check them out Hey what's the website's name? That's always a handy one Oh, it's pretty simple. Radical, yeah, uh, Radical Sports Cars NZ. Radical Sports Cars NZ or Radical Sports Cars dot NZ. Okay, that's not too difficult. So thanks for your time, mate, and uh, best of luck. We'll talk to you soon, okay? I'll be I'll be calling you very soon to organise that drive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, Greg. All right, Radical Sports Cars NZ December three. They're going down to the South Island. Have a nudge. What are they really like, Murph? Seriously, what are they no. really like? Um, it's it's a it's a go kart on steroids. An absolute it's a go kart on steroids. They really controllable. They really are. I mean, someone like oh, me, don- course, donkey oh, like me, they're controllable. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely controllable. Uh, no, it's not. They're not overpowered. They just yeah. they're light. So so they you know power to weight ratio yeah. is phenomenal, and that's that's what makes things exhilarate. Don't need to have the most horsepower, the biggest engine. Yeah. Even the fifteen hundred cc one has got ample amount of grunt. And it feels so ridiculously fast. You're that close to the ground. You know, your your bum when it's sitting in that car <laughs> is literally only a couple of inches off off the ground. So you feel like you're you are wow. flying along the asphalt. Um, you know, wow. like Superman. Great. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, they they look a heap of fun. Hey, Murph, we're going to take yeah. a wee break, but we'll, we'll talk about F1 a little bit in just a moment. Hey, if you want to get in that draw to win that, bring in the Bathurst. $800. I think this is the biggest. Come on, people. Get on the phone. 0800 0800-150811. 0800-150811. This show takes calls, not texts. Tell us what you think about the F1 weekend. Would you like to drive a Radical? Maybe that's something we could do with them. Anyway, 0800-150811. Bring in the Bathurst here on Radio. 
race control with Repco. 7.47 on a Thursday evening. Time to talk a little bit of F1 because we take this whole Mercedes thing a little bit further, Murph, because the latest drama Mm. goes back to lap 48 when Max Verstappen ran Lewis off the track. Now... Uh, Mr. Red Bull got on the line. Christian Horner said they uh, they they wanted a they didn't want a uh, inquiry. And he said Michael, who's obviously he, he no Mike. He just said, "Hey, it's racing. Let them race." Yep. And and the guy said, "Actually, yeah, let's let them race." But since then, it's blown up. And the latest is Mercedes have requested a review of Max pushing Lewis off the track. Lewis won mm. the the blimmin race. Why do we need to take this any further? What's this oh, about? They can't help themselves. They can't help themselves. It's and and to be honest, I guarantee you, if it was around the other way, it would be exactly the same. Just with Red Bull doing it and asking for it. Oh, and this but- is this is actually a this is actually a problem that um, you know the sport does have. And it was a problem. I, I think I mentioned it to you the other day. Um, talking to Craig Beard, and that's why I mentioned it to Peter Addington a minute ago. You know, Beardo and I were in a bit of an exchange. I just sent him a message and said, this is awesome. You, you know, you're doing a great job allowing this bit of push and shove and, uh, you know, a, a bit of biff and barge going on in this championship. No one's taking each other out. No one's taking anyone off the road on purpose. Um, and if they are doing it, um, you know, they're not doing a very good job of it. So there was a lot of touch-ups over the weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park. And he said to me, you cannot believe the grief I am getting from the teams through the email system there. They are just constantly bitching and moaning like bloody school kids about these things happening. And 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 it's like... And this, but this is the world they live in, and Peter mentioned it before too, about what the teams look at and what they deem to be important. Now, they have to do that because that's what their job is, but entertainment is absolute key. Uh, now, what happened... Point one what, for what Peter Edson, the show. The, yeah, the show. And the show was amazing. And, and the guys that are very good at it, which is a, a large portion of the field in supercars, who know what to do just to touch, just to, just to unweight a car in the certain places to, you know, that are slower than them in front, just to allow a little bit of movement and a, sh- a shuffle to, you know, to get by. You know, that stuff, that stuff should be here because it will always come around to be on the other foot. You will always be on the receiving end. If you were on the, on the end, which is actually giving the little shove to push someone out of, way, out of the way, it will come back that you will be on the other foot at some stage. So as long as you're not fit, um, you know, having people off, shoving them off the track into crashes, that kind of stuff, we've got to let that stuff happen. Now, what happened at um, the weekend in Formula One? Yeah, that was, that was potentially, I don't know. You know, I saw what Max did. He was deep. He went in way too deep. I mean, the, the Mercedes had DRS down that back, down that straight, was past him, and he didn't want to give up the position. Now, that's the way racing should be. They didn't crash into each other. They knew there was runoff there. They ran wide. They carried on. And that was, that was awesome to watch. <laughs> it, it, and it, it got a lot of people It was pretty talking. wide, though, eh? It was, it was, yeah, I mean, very wide. Uh, yeah, very wide. Would you, but, would you, but if you were Lewis, wheel, hang on, but if you were Lewis, would you have been grumpy? Absolutely. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, everyone's talking about it, right? And that is the most important thing. If that hadn't happened and Lewis had run one by 20 seconds, what would we be talking about? How boring the race was. Yeah, well, 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 that that has what – and this is the first year, and I would say, well, a good six maybe – that suddenly it's, under it's, it's, under, it's, under, it's exciting again, yeah, right? and that is it's a good thing, A right? bit like World Superbikes, the Jonathan Ray. Like, he's been owned at, what, six, six in a row, right? Suddenly, top yeah. rack Ratzak Yoglu comes along, and we're all going, 
Wow, let's take a close look at WSBK, and it's exciting. We're going to do that after 8.30 with Avalon, Well, well seriously, though, I mean, when was, when was the last time we talked about SBK, World SBK, in the way we've been talking about it this year? Uh, <laughs> not. We've never That's talked right. about it. We've, we've never talked about it World... through Sky Speed yep. since, since we, we got on air eight, eight years, years ago. ago. Yeah, I right? know. And, and we've never talked about World SBK in the way that we're talking about this year, and we're watching it religiously because it is so exciting. Now, that is what it is all about. Yep, no, That's what it's about. No arguments. And I'm watching F1. I'm watching F1 at the moment because that championship is looking like it's going to go down to the wire. But mm. how many years in a row has Lewis had the, had the championship wound up by this stage with two, three races yeah, still yeah. to go? Yeah, I know. And, so and, and you're going blah, blah. I don't, you know, so people have got to put all this all this stuff in perspective. And what Jamie did on the weekend, love it. What Jamie did on the weekend was fantastic. Okay, absolutely brilliant. Let's just uh, stick. You're with, trying to cut me off. No, no, no. But we just run out of time. I want to keep talking about F1 so we can get this uh, sorted. Uh, Guangzhou F2 mm. leader going to be the first Chinese driver in F1. He's taken the uh, Alfa Romeo spot from Antonio yep. Giovinazzi and Giovinazzi. But he's apparently, as if you read into it, also bought thirty million euros with him or US. So and and yeah. Vasur, the team principal, said, "Well, we're going to a capped a cap now, about one hundred and forty-five US to run our teams. It does make a difference when you get an extra thirty coming in with the driver, right? But he can. He, this kid can drive. Oh well, he's proven that he's won F two races. I mean, he's 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 right up there. So it's not like um, he's in the mid pack and he's bought himself a drive. It just so happens he's got a bit of cash to go with it. It's going to be very interesting, and it's a shame that uh, Antonio uh, gets pushed aside. But he has picked up a drive with um, Dragon Penske yeah, in Formula and... E. That's going to be a bit of a shock to his system. All of a sudden, having uh, after having a thousand <laughs> horsepower under his right foot. Well, the funny thing um, is, um, Tom Blanc. Was... He's going to be well... going, "Hey, I think there's something wrong with the malt. I think you need to turn it up." A little bit. I can't uh, hear it. I can't, where, where, where is the noise? Where's yeah. the noise? Uh, yeah. But also, yeah. uh, speaking of Formula E, um, Tom Blomquist is leaving uh, the Neo team. He's picked up a full time drive with My Shank Racing in IMSA next year, driving the Acura. Uh, yeah, so I, that, I that found too. that interesting. He's, he's probably gone. Oh, yeah, I can, I can, I can race something that looks cooler and sounds really good as well. Uh, the yeah, other but th- that, but that's going places. Imps going places. We wow, know is it what? This collaboration with with um, uh, WEC and the rules and the regulations around the cars moving forward and all that kind of stuff. So Imsa is definitely going places. So that's a good call on his part. And the exciting thing, if you're an Australian fan, you're listening on the app and SEN, Oscar Piastri, who will win F2 yeah. this year. And, and couldn't race next year. When you win the championship, you're not allowed to go back and race. Has finally picked up the reserve drive for Alpine, mm. and they're saying yeah. he potentially will replace Fernando Alonso in the F1 seat in 2023. That is so exciting, so cool to have another uh, Antipodean um, in, in line for a for a seat. Um, I'm just oh, that is just so cool, and and by all accounts, I know Gerald uh, McDonald, a good friend of mine in yeah. Australia, does the media and stuff for him, and knows and works with Oscar, and he's just just a fantastic, humble young man uh, with with such amazing talent, just like Liam Lawson. So wouldn't it be awesome to see Liam and Oscar uh, turn up in Formula One maybe in 2023 and uh, get the job done? That would be just oh, be spectacular. It, 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 I, I'm really excited about Liam doing this end of season test in Abu Dhabi. Totally. Uh, Abu Dhabi. See see how he handles the car and see what sort of numbers he can put down. All right, it's 7.55, almost done with this first hour of Race Control, brought to you by our good friends at Repco. If you want to win the Bring in the Bathurst Repco Pack, the value on this thing... 
How it, could you not want to? Oh, well, man, yeah. $800 worth. It's, it's so easy. It's, to your, do. it's your mobile man cave, Murph says. So get on the phone now. 0800 150811. That's 0800 150811. Who's up next, Stephen? Pardon? Who's up next? I was getting there. I was oh, getting sorry. there. Okay, Brett, Brent Stevens, the man who was the spanner man, the mechanic for Valentino oh, he's Rossi. The only he's the only reason that Valentino was so successful. Well, he was there with 56 of his 89 wins, so he's pretty handy indeed. Now back in Australia, running as uh, part of a superbike team there. So stick around. Uh, an unheralded hero in motorsport. <laughs> Brent Stevens is next. Stay with us. He'll hate that. He'll hate that. If you're into cars, get into Repco. Bloody proud sponsors of the Repco Bathurst 1000. This is Race Control with Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. This is that ice cold Michelle fight for that white gold. This one for them hood girls, them good girls, straight masterpieces. Styling, violent, living it up in the city. Got Chuck's song with Saint Laurent. Gotta kiss myself. Makes you feel good. It does, doesn't it? A bit of Bruno Mars to start off the second hour of this edition of Race Control with our good friends at Repco and get into our Repco feature interview. When you think about Valentino Rossi, you you quite literally say the GOAT. And we, we Murph and I on Sky Speed this week looked at the numbers. Uh, so 372 race starts. Those are premier race starts. So that's in MotoGP. It was actually 432 in total over his 125 and 250 career included. 89 wins. 199 podiums, 55 poles, 76 fastest laps. And the really crazy fact I threw at Murph, I actually got him to open his bit of an open jaw moment. Since 1949, his numbers represent that he's been involved in the premier class of MotoGP 500cc 44% of the time. And one man that had a huge influence and 56 of those wins to make sure that he was on his road to being the GOAT is a Kiwi called Brent Stevens, one of his mechanics. And he joins us right now in this Repco feature interview. Hello, Brent. Hey, evening, guys. How's it going? Mate, uh, we are good. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Where did it all start for you, getting into bikes and being a spanner man? Oh, Hum, humble um, starts in, in New Zealand and uh, Palmer's North working for a motorcycle uh, shop, being a mechanic, and started racing motocross. And actually, Murph knows the guy I'm talking about, Simon Crater. You guys are uh, well known in that, that part of the woods. Um, I started working with him. I actually, he was an apprentice when I was, and he started racing in Europe. And he asked me to go and work for him in the World Tour Bikes. And that, that's how it kicked off for me. How long ago was that? Oh, I can't even remember. A lot of great years ago. <laughs> no, not 90, 95 I went to Europe for the first time. And that's when wow. he, uh, was, he just got a factory ride over the on the bikes. So when when did the hookup with the GOAT happen? And how did it, and how did it happen? Yeah, how? how do you get into this position? Bribery, money, stuff like that. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, I did the three years with Simon with World bikes and actually uh, worked with uh, another Kiwi, Mike Webb, um, and yeah. he was uh, working alongside with me with Simon, and he be- ended up becoming the race director for race director for Dorna for MotoGP uh, eventually. But he was um, working with a 500 motocross, I mean MotoGP team when uh, Kenny Roberts stopped uh, 
funding the team and they had a um, a team with Marlborough sponsorship and it was Carlos Checker and Max Biaggi and Mike asked me to go back to Europe and help them out so that's how I got into that and I did four years with Carlos Checker with uh, 500s and that's when Max was in the team as well and at that stage I was well, we weren't doing much winning basically and Valentino and Honda were doing all the winning and I was pretty mates with Jeremy Burgess and all the other boys we all fly back on the plane and they'd just give me a ribbing day in day out over finishing second at best and I was actually trying to get a job down there with them to be honest uh, if the other one came up and one day Jeremy rang me and said don't go anywhere uh, we're coming to you which nobody thought that was ever going to happen because there was a lot of talk with Mick maybe going to Yamaha one time that never happened but Fair enough, uh, Valentino signed with the Yamaha and he, he came and took the spot on our team and I jumped ship with Carlos to move over because they wanted somebody uh, that knew the bike well. So I ended up working with all the Australian guys and with Valentino in 2004 when he came to Yamaha. That must have been, uh, that must have been uh, an, an incredible moment and obviously life-changing moment for you to then, you know, be a part of that team because that's what that was right I mean mate you, we've spoken about it before that the way that that whole operation worked with Jeremy Burgess leading the charge there and and created such a significant little group of people um, being a part of that mate just to try and put it into words yeah it was I mean I was I was so stoked and a little bit overwhelmed because you think Gee, look he's come look he's come to town and I've got to work with him Luckily, that those guys were so versed with Valentino and his intricacies and how he works, and because he's quite different with how he operates, and so it was really easy to slot in, especially with the Australian Kiwi thing. So I mean, there was no no pressures as far as that goes, but he drew a crowd. My God, the amount of cameras and uh, videos going on in the in the garage constantly—it was just never ending. So it was uh, super exciting in that first year with Valentino because, I mean, Yamaha as a whole, we weren't going that great. They were trying, but even with Max, we were just getting sporadic results, and they put a big effort in Yamaha. Kudos to them because they redeveloped the whole team development side of it. And when we went to um, welcome for that first race, that first year, we weren't we were the underdogs. We weren't expected to go there or win. They were won the ch- the title, and uh, God, he rode the wheels off that thing and, and just inspired everybody so much more. And that year was just a, a pivotal year for everything. It was just incredible how how it happened. You know, I mean, it was not through lack of hard work, and and that would never have happened without JB's uh, Jimmy Burgess's input and the team. He just was so good at getting the best out of a bike. Brent, let's talk about, you've opened a door up because you said the intricacies of Valentino Rossi. So take us into the garage. Uh, take us into a race day, uh, what he would go through, and what are those intricacies? He's really methodical with what he does. I mean, time management, how he is. I mean, he's always super friendly in the garage, but he was super serious as well. You need to come in meet everybody. Everybody wanted to be his best mates all the time, but he'd come in and, and spend five or ten minutes talking with us guys in the garage when he first arrived on like the Thursday and just get that out of the way and you know, ask how we're all doing and what we've been doing and talk about, you know, the week prior to that. But he had knuckled down and he'd spent a lot of time going over everything. I mean, he had uh, Ucho, his best mate that was with him. I mean, he just had everything down to like two minutes as far as time goes. That's even without even thinking about 
you know, how he is when he goes through his motion before he gets on the bike, and that's something special in itself. You know, touching his balls, pulling on his earring, putting his earplugs in, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that was the stuff that went on without fail every time. Every time. Every time. Why would yeah. he touch his balls? Or was that just to make sure that they were yeah. there when he came back? <laughs> Maybe the last one. Who knows? But it was, it, was, it was supposed to be good luck, you know. So, I mean, that was just something. I mean, everybody's seen him do it. I don't, I don't yeah. think I'm talking out of turn telling everybody, but yeah, that's what he did, pulling his undies out of his ass as he went down to the lane, and it was just <laughs> well, every time. <laughs> when you talk about when we talk about raw talent, have you? Yep. Did he have raw talent, and have you seen the likes since? Gee, um, I don't think so. I just I think about it now that I watched the last race, and it was a bit emotional seeing you know that, that all finally end. And I thought to myself, do I really make the most of all the, the highlights that we had? Because you're, you're so deep into it. And, you know, I mean, I remember we used to get so peeved off when we finished second. We would just hate ourselves for not, not winning. And, it's, and it just seemed so arrogant because as a team, we were like that. that the arrogancy of uh, all the guys that work around, because they expected to win. You know, they, if we fight, once we started winning... If we didn't win, we'd just go, what, what did we do wrong? You know, second just wasn't good enough back then. But then when we won, oh, we just let them have it. We used to play, you know, we are the champions by Queen, full volume after the race, all the time. It was just like, people must have hated us, really. And I was part of it. <laughs> but, I, but I haven't seen anybody that's got that raw talent like that. Maybe, I mean, you, I look at the new young generation now, there's a lot of talented guys out there. There really is, and it's, it's only time's going to tell how talented they are because you know, these guys can come in and have a couple of fleeting moments. I mean, look at uh, Maverick, for example. I mean, he was going to be the talent. I mean, there's more to it than just raw talent. I mean, Murph knows that. There's, there's a thousand guys there that have got the talent, but you've got to have the dedication, you've got to have the mindset, and there's so many guys that don't have all that together. You are listening to Brent Stevens, former mechanic of Valentino Rossi, seven-time MotoGP champion, nine-time world champion with the 125s and the 250s thrown in there as well. We're going to take a break in our Repco feature interview and come back and talk more about this amazing man and also the amazing man that was part of Valentino Rossi's career right here on SENZ. Brent Stevens, once the mechanic for Valentino Rossi. How many mechanics were there, by the way? Uh, there's three of us. Um, uh, Alex Brins, he lives here in Australia, and a uh, Belgian guy. And, uh, yeah, there's three of us sort of, like, mixed the duties of what had to be done to the two bikes. What was your specific specialty? Uh, not, not any specialty, really. We all had to be sort of versed in, in doing everything, although in the latter years the, um, the gearboxes became pretty technical, and one guy sort of specialised in that. I dabbled in it enough to better do it if push come to shove. Um, but everything else we'd, we'd work on together um, because the, ge- the, the gearboxes are probably one of the biggest things you change because we can't open the engines. So you're just rotating engines around for mileage, basically, and doing general maintenance and well, crash repairs if there was any, but the gearboxes are the thing that probably took the most time. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on how MotoGP is is going at the moment and its directions and the rules, the regulations. I mean, um, I'm I mean, any motorsport fan is 
is a huge fan of MotoGP. The racing the last couple of years, or oh, I don't know, years gone by, has it's just been phenomenal. It seems to have they've seems to have the right package, mate, uh, of regulations and things going at the moment. Do you agree with that, or what, what do you think would improve it? I, I totally agree with you because I think sometimes I look at Formula One, they just change rules and regulations too much. I mean, at the moment, they've got a good package going together. Um, there's a lot of satellite teams that are competitive. You know, they brought in the Magneti Morelli electronics years ago to try and level the play field. And I think that's they've done a good job. You know, there's guys out there that are winning races. Or hey, Martin, guys like that on a, a satellite bike and a competitive where you go back 10 years ago, there was, there was too much difference in the bikes. Now, it's uh, I think it's bang on, really. I don't think they want to go changing too much. When you look at having worked with Valentino Rossi, could you get close to him, or was it always that working relationship? Could you call him a friend? Uh, yeah, I could call him a friend, but I, I totally agree with you. And um, I had this argument, not argument, this conversation with a lot of the Italian guys, because the Italians just they drop their knees for just to have a <laughs> word with them, you know what I mean? And, and uh, it's sometimes, I'm sorry, excuse the expression, but you know, you've got to have a distance between being your best mate and doing a professional job that you're employed to do. So there's a very hard crossover, and that's why mainly you know would would talk together at certain times or have dinner, but we weren't matey matey. You know, I could I mean I message him often even now. I can call him that sort of thing, but we never hang out, hung out yeah. together all the time sort of thing. He's got his own group of guys for that. So I think it was important to keep the, the professionalism on one side. And you, you can still be a friend, but I don't yeah. know how you can be his best mate. So so that mutual mutual respect is, is probably the, the key element to, to walk away with. Oh, t- uh, totally. It certainly worked for us anyway. I mean, no one on our team was any different to that. Probably a little bit now where there's a few more Italians involved, especially than when we were in Ducati, that muddied the waters too much when I look back on it and you, you could see it happening. Everybody wanted to be his best mate and mm. no one was being quite as honest as they probably could have been you know, for the, for the race reasons, you know? Ucho is mate. Be- Sorry, Murph. I was just, because Brent had mentioned Ucho. I'm sure that's the, shall we say, the chubby mm. fellow that's always around him. Is that, is that right? <laughs> is that Ucho? I don't wish to be rude, but it's only way I can... He, always, he looks like a jolly fellow. Is that, is that his mate Ucho? Yeah, he's, they, they grew up as, as kids. They rode scooters to school and stuff like that. He's, uh, they're almost like brothers. I mean, they've been together forever, inseparable. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's. He, I'd say he's his best mate for sure. What's you know, he, he, he going to do now? <laughs> oh, I don't know. They're going car racing. He'll find something to do. He'll just be tagging along doing something. He's 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 actually involved in the, his new VR Sky racing. So. He yeah. has some involvement in that as well, and Pablo Nieto, he's pretty much running the new MotoGP team, so. He's going to be, uh, Valentino's going to be pretty busy, isn't he? I mean, with the, the VR46 um, Academy and then the race team and all that stuff and the involvement he's going to have and then go off and do some car racing as well. It's, uh, he's going to be um, uh, probably busier than he has been of late um, riding MotoGP bikes. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a good bunch of guys working from there. There's just so much going on within VR46 as a as a company. You know, with the academy, he's got allocated guys doing that, and um, you know the guys with the, that are running the new um, MotoGP team. You know, I mean, Valley's got his name to it, but he's not 
he's, I don't think anyone's going to expect him to be turning up there every every day, every weekend sort of thing. You know, it's his name on it, but he's not going to be, you know, crack, cracking on the tools or anything like that anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't want him doing that. Hey, uh, let's, um, let's talk uh, Aussies in... Uh, MotoGP, um, what an amazing feat it was uh, on the weekend to see Remy Gardner uh, take out that Moto2 World Championship. It was uh, pretty special, wasn't it? Oh, it was. I mean, it's any time that anyone from down under wins the world title, it's a great thing, you know, because it's you've really got the, you're back against the wall trying to make it um, in a world championship event or... European, when you live down here, you just haven't got the, the clout as far as getting sponsors and stuff like that. I mean, he's lucky he had, you know, his dad there to really yep. push him along the way, and I saw financially help him because average Joe is never going to get there. It's so dash hard. There's so many good riders, and if you haven't got financial backing or a little bit of clout, it's near impossible to do. I mean, who's off to um, when I take a look at Jack, you know? Mm. He's coming back to have a ride on the superbike in December. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's riding one of my old bikes. That I, well, I mean, I'm still working for the Ducati team over here, and it's one of the bikes that we've, we've used we, that he's uh, purchased. So, yeah, that's great. Really good news. I mean, it's great for the sport down here to have him because we haven't had any MotoGP yeah. for the last couple of years. So having Jack front up down there, I'm sure it'll draw a crowd. Hey, um, I have to ask this question about Remy Gardner because he's been trying really hard for a couple, three years now to try and break through to, to win a championship. Uh, you you know bikers. You know you know a good rider from a bad rider. You've seen plenty. You've worked with the best. Is it, How tough is it going to be with him and that Tech 3 KTM team to compete straight away in MotoGP next year? Uh, it's going to be tough for sure. You know, you know, if you look at the guys that are um, before him that have gone to MotoGP and struggled. I mean, Fabio is probably the one guy that jumped into the MotoGP and and did better than most guys expected because he wasn't the fastest Moto2 rider. Um, Frankie was. You know, it took Frankie two years to get up to speed compared to uh, to Fabio. But I mean, it's a, it's a big call. If you, uh, it's going to take some time and. Although Miguel Oliveira, he started the season really good and he's faded away a little bit. It's not easy. Throw throw someone like him into even a factory bike with the best of machinery. It's not going to be the machinery that's going to make the difference for the first couple of years. It's going to be him getting his head around going racing in, in that class. Is MotoGP completely different to F1? Because you've just picked it up there. Is it about the rider more so than the machine? There's always a crossover, for sure. Um, you only have to look at the moment. Ducati have dominated the second half of the season. I mean, they've got a great bike, great electronics. And yet you've got Fabio on the Yamaha, who in some weekends is unbeatable. Um, so I would say you have to have both. 100% Suzuki are really struggling at the moment because their bike isn't quite good enough. They haven't sort of had any updates lately. And that, that's the difference at the moment. Um, Mia won the world title last year, and he's up with the second or third this year. So, I mean, he's really struggled. And, and the other guys, the other manufacturers have, have upped their game. I mean, it's not like he's been riding bad. It's just that that's the way technology is moving and stuff like that. So you have to have a little bit of both. I think in Formula 1, it's probably leaning a little bit more towards the car makes a difference more than in MotoGP. All right, mate. Uh, but before we let you, Murph, I know, yeah, Murph, I could, Murph's been waving at me, and his his screens up. You got a question, Murph? Yeah, 
Yeah, I just just mate, um, where to uh, for for you, mate? Twenty twenty two. What's um, what's on the agenda? Ah, uh, well, well, COVID's pretty much stuff things for me. I've had just had a a year off now because uh, I I had an opportunity to ride uh, work with uh, Valentino's brother Luca this year. Just been but COVID, I thought I was going to get stuck over there. I probably would have. And uh, next year, I had an opportunity to go with in Valentina's new team uh, with uh, Luca and the Moto 2 rider Bisecki. But I've had to pull the pin on that because, again, COVID's macular. They want, I'm supposed to be over there testing today, actually, in Jerez. That's what they wanted me over there for. So I'm having another year off, and hopefully, end of next year, I'll get down there and um, get back over there and get back into it. Too talented to be left on the sidelines, Brent. I, before you go, I've just got to ask you one one final thought. What is the best moment of working with Valentino Rossi? Can you remember the moment, the race? What was the best moment? Oh, I've told this a thousand times. Oh, okay. Thousand times. Oh, no, 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 seriously, it was uh, my first race win and Yamaha's first race win for so long and welcome uh, when, with Valentino. Uh, an unexpected, and it was just... Amazing moment, first race win. I mean, I think we've done lots of interviews, and all the mechanics say the same thing. I mean, there's there's other moments that have been really special, but that one, specifically for me, you know, the first win, that's always counts, and the world title. Well, you've done okay from a boy from Palmerston North, haven't you? Norswood, actually. No, no. Norswood. <laughs> Norswood. The, fa- the factory's not there anymore. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, the only, the only reason anyone knows that is if they bought some woolen socks or a jumper. Like that, a, my, my, my uncle used to wow. work in the factory selling that stuff. That's how I know. <laughs> no, wow. Hey, Brent, thanks mm. so much for giving us your time. I've got one final thought for you. Write a book. Write a book yeah, from your no. perspective because I think yeah. that would be fascinating. It would be. I kick myself so often that I didn't keep a journal because I think I've got more than, you know. But I've thought about it many times. I'll write one after Jeremy Burgess rides his one. So this will be the then you can Then you can plagiarise the whole thing. Brent, yeah. thanks so much for your time, mate. It's been it's been a really enjoyable time just to learn a little bit more, particularly uh, how the boys from down under can uh, take on the world and help people uh, achieve so much. Uh, thanks so much, and we'll we'll talk Cheers, again. Now nah, it was a pleasure. Nice talking to you guys. Yeah, thanks so thanks. much. Have there you go, night. Brent Stevens. Wow, Murph. The, uh, yeah, I mean, we've only scratched the surface with him, haven't we? Really, when you think about yeah. it. I mean, uh, fifty-six race wins he was involved in, and and the way he talks about. It, I love the. He didn't really deal did detail too much on the intricacies but Ucha one I had to ask who Ucha was I couldn't help myself because I've always, I've always wondered who that was and when you know when, and I was, he must be on the payroll anyway but there you go that was Brent Stevens Valentino Rossi's mechanic one of three that he had and he was a Kiwi Norswood born if you're in Norswood hey give us a call now 0800 150 that's 0800 150 go on the draw for the bring in the Bathurst race pack worth 800 Dollars. We'll probably give it away next week because it's pretty close to uh, Bathurst. So that's that, yep. that'll be something to look forward to. So get on the blower now, 0800 150 And coming next, we're going to talk more about Valentino Rossi and WSBK's final run with our... Ah, she's part of the team, Avalon Biddle. <laughs> Thirty-one. This is Race Control with Repco, Stephen McIver, Greg Murphy, and Avalon Biddle live from Christchurch. Good evening, come in Christchurch. Hello, Avalon. 
Hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, we're good. Now, uh, before we go any further, staycation at the formal formal home of uh, <laughs> the late John Britton, which has just been sold as a as a, a beautiful home. It was on uh, Design. What is that? House Design New Zealand. Pretty cool show. Grand Designs. Grand Designs. Uh, what was it like? Your little staycation. Amazing! You don't miss much, do you? Well, I fully um, if you if you're going to put it on social media, everybody's going to see it, girl. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, no, it was well worth sharing. Um, absolutely amazing, honestly, really, really stunning. Um, as you can imagine, but I guess it's just all the small details that add up and make it into something really special that you don't expect. Um, yeah, just that central courtyard um, with the infamous staircase and the handmade um, wooden railing. It's just, um, yeah, it really is a special place and such a sun trap, like so warm, which um, <laughs> the weather down here in Christchurch has been less than uh, desirable lately. Please, so, um, yeah, no, really, really cool. I really wanted to get there before um, Isabel, John's daughter, sold the place. So um, we oh, stuck wow. in a last minute trip and it was definitely worth it. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. I mean, um, what a what a legacy that uh, that man has has left behind. That's uh, stunning. That place is beautiful. So, was that you? You wanted to go there because of of John Britton and and that that uh, obviously attachment that you've got to him through through motorbikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Um, you know, he obviously did a huge amount for the sport, particularly here in New Zealand. Um, a lot of people don't know anything about motorbike racing, and they know uh, John Britton and the Britton bike. Mm, so, um, pretty true. cool to see um, and feel a bit more about um, the man that he was, and, and I guess his family and, and where he lived and that sort of thing. Um, no, very cool, very cool, and, and a bit sad, I'm sure, for the whole family to see that house go. That's uh, where he built the bike. So. Wow. Um, yeah, pretty tough for them, to, I guess, to see it move on to new R- Romantic, I, though, right? I, I loved... I loved seeing one of the best things from the documentary back in the day when he was when he was having to cool the castings for the engine stuff. He was putting them in the pool. It was just fantastic. <laughs> I, I just I vividly recall that he's got these these stinking hot castings, you know, um, for the engine for the V twin, and he's putting them in the pool to cool them down. It's just fantastic stuff. Love it. All so right. Kiwi. Okay. 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 But you had another romantic weekend with the hubby to be Jake. So were you guys <laughs> ra- racing around in the wet at the weekend? Yes, we were. We were. Uh, we went to Invercargill. So, um, yeah, we're very lucky here in the South Island. I do have to acknowledge that, that racing has carried on as normal in the club scene anyway. So, um, yeah, we had a round of the, what is our basically South Island Championship. Uh, Friday, we got to ride Teratonga in the dry, which is absolutely amazing. The closest thing yeah. we have here in Europe, to, uh, a Europe uh, here in New Zealand to a European track. And it was so fun to actually ride some fast corners again. Gosh, we really enjoyed it. And then Sunday in the rain, which um, is somewhat to be expected in Macau. <laughs> did, did, did I, did I see Jake? Did Jake high side it? Yes, yeah, um, yes, he did. He uh, got very excited, <laughs> mate. Again, very early on in the piece, and again, to the moon. Again, put it on social media. People are going to know hey. about it. This is as simple as that. Okay, let's. Okay, Valentino Rossi. Uh, was he a hero of yours uh, growing up as a young wannabe motorbike racer? And if so, what effect did his success and style of riding have on you? Oh, that's, that's big. Um, he influenced the whole sport and everyone in it, so uh, you can't help but admire uh, his riding and obviously his charisma, which is um, what made him so famous. 
uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. Like I, I still remember um, when I got into motorbike racing, uh, saw Aaron Slight racing on TV, and it was the first kind of I ever saw of it, and then figured it out about MotoGP, which obviously is on at like 2, 3 a.m. New Zealand time on a Sunday morning. Uh, and I remember getting up um, that early on a school day before going to school on a Monday and watching those races live. Um, and obviously Valentino was, was the man at that time. Uh, he was the Marquis of, of that era, just about winning every race. Um, so, yeah, I've done amazing things for the sport. Very different to us because because he's Italian. Uh, he's very Italian. And, and the way he goes about things as well, so quite hard to identify with. Like, I probably idolised more the Australian and the American riders. Um, but, yeah, you can't deny what he's done for the sport and what an amazing guy he is, really. Um, pretty yeah. pretty sad to see him go, but very cool to see that legacy that he's leaving behind with the VR46 Academy. Uh, he, he's done amazing things for those Italian riders. Yeah, it's, it is an incredible legacy. Uh, he's... You just said that you know you probably um, had a, a sort of closer affinity to the Aussie and the and maybe the American riders, but when Valentino won a race, you know, and he won so many, and there was you know uh, championships, and you know he was winning races on the trot all the time. I don't remember myself ever because of the way he came across and and the way he did portray himself and 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 just you know what he the the brand he created and how he went about it i never remember once thinking oh god not him again it was always an amazing <laughs> yeah. feeling when he when he won a race you just were like so excited regardless if you if you weren't his you know you you, you weren't a fan necessarily when he won a race, you were just like, wow, Valentino, wow, wow, wow. You never got sick of it. Is, is that what, sort of way you felt? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, he, he, like his personality, it's just, just next level. And, um, mm. yeah, I think we all felt like that. Uh, obviously, until he went to Ducati. I mean, I lived in Italy um, in that area when he went to Ducati. And all the Italians, oh, wow. um, amazing how many fans he lost during, during that period. I'm sure they all... Um, have fallen back in love with him over the last couple of years, but at that time there was a lot of animosity over there. Um, everyone saying back then that he should have he should be retiring too old um, over at no good. Uh, so to see him come back and bounce back these last few years on the Yamaha has been pretty cool. I mean, 43 years old and, and racing inside the top 10 in um, one his last pretty race. tough sport. Yeah. I don't know if you'd say it's one of the top toughest sports in the world, but it's incredibly tough. So. Um, yeah, I think he proved a lot of those Italians wrong, and I'm sure they jumped back on his side uh, the last few years. Oh no, it's 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 sad, really. It's because isn't it? We've all grown up watching him, and 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 who who takes over? Who takes the, is Mark? See, Mark Hares, to me doesn't have the charisma of Valentino. He and that, that, need that, it. That, that pardon. I don't think he needs it. He's he. You don't. I think everyone's got to be there themselves and be different and be and be their own. And man, there's some. There is such amazing personalities in MotoGP. They are they are, they are not left wanting at all no. with personality in that series, right? No. And that is what is such a huge part. Look at look at the celebrations on the weekend. I mean, how long did it take these guys to get back to Park Ferme? I mean, it, it was just insane. It's part of the show. It's ah, such an incredible part of the show. The show. And, and like, yeah. I love watching what happens post-race at the end of it there to yeah. see all that celebration, all that stuff. And that is such a key for the success <laughs> of the 
ridiculous. <laughs> and they all know, they all know, you look at what, the way Quattararo behaves and the way Marque, uh, Marquez, Marquez behaves and, and Jack Miller and all these guys, they've all got such incredible personalities that mixes together to create such an incredible melting pot there that um, you're just transfixed all the time. You know, Evie, what I love about the MotoGP is the post-match race interviews with Simon Craver because you get three of them that sound the same. You never know who's talking. They say, it's a good, yes, I do the rest. And the next one, you come in second place. Yes, it's a good, you know, I come the right. What the hell is going on here? But it's fun. I have to agree with you there because even when they interview Jack Miller, it's hilarious because he's just so Australian. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The contrast yeah. is just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Whereas all the, all the Europeans, all the millions and millions of Europeans going, what? I can't understand a word he's saying. What did he say? What? Yeah. Uh, get an esky here. I need a beer. Okay. A final round of WSBK this weekend at the Mandalika circuit on the island mm. of Lombok. It says it's a street circuit. I've seen the photo. Yeah. I couldn't see any town. I could all I could see was a lot of lovely ocean. It looks amazing. It looks fantastic. First time they've raced an Indonesian WSPK since 1997. So your best friend, Top Rat Ratsadigoglu on the Yami, is sitting on 531 points. And Jonathan Ray missed a six times on 501. He can still win this championship, Avalon. Oh, absolutely. It is going to be such an exciting weekend, um, particularly going to a new track. You just mm. um, you can't really add much more excitement in to that. Um, well, it's like a run on Pirelli tyres, so that kind of eliminates one tyre being better than others in a new circuit, which is always um, quite a big thing. So it'll be interesting to see how those Pirellis hold up on, on brand new asphalt. Um, but yeah, we might see one of the bikes just work a lot better than, than another brand on that track. So it's going to be super interesting, but yeah, it's definitely not over till the fat lady sings, as they say. Um, so I, I just couldn't pick it. You can't really pick a winner, can you? Yes, you um, we're can. Just gonna have to see. Yes, you can. <laughs> I, I honestly... I, I couldn't tell you at the moment. I think Top Rack has the talent and the determination, but Johnny has that experience. Um, so, and, he, and he's got a great team and a great bike. So, um, oh, oh she's torn. So she's torn. This, this is very, uh, very unlike her, Murph. All yeah, year, nervous. all year, she's very nervous. She has been all her behind heart says Top Rack, but her head says the other. Well, well, here's another, here's another angle to it. How much pressure is on Top Rack rather than Jonathan Ray? Oh, yeah, a lot. I, I don't know if you guys have seen, but I haven't seen what Top Rack's doing next year either, so I don't know if he's still... He's got um, a year to run on that contract. He's still got a year to run on his Yamaha contract. Still if, got a year. Yeah, if not two, yeah, I think. Jack, Jack nodding the Yamaha head too. So uh, I guess it takes a bit of pressure off knowing that um, you, you're going to stick stick with it next year. But, oh, man, mm. when, you're, when you're right there ready to win, that's what you want to do and that's what you've spent probably your whole lifetime working towards. So... I think he's got a pretty calm head, um, and I think he can handle the pressure. So that's probably mm. what um, has made him so competitive this year. I mean, we've seen Bautista and Reading both give Ray a run for their money, but um, maybe a little bit of inconsistency from Ducati, and then them possibly crumbling under pressure a couple of times, um, which we haven't seen from top rank this year. So, yeah, I think the yeah. best thing for me is that the racing is... Um, Kind of, it's Sunday night here, so um, we can all watch it live, which is super exciting to um, not have to stay up till crazy hours in the morning to, to know what happens. 
It's That's a very good point. Very good point. I think um, as long as Toprak doesn't change the way he's ridden all year, that's the that's the strongest thing he can do. That's the that's the most the 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 biggest thing he can do to try and break the rest of them is to not change an absolute thing. If he tries to ride slightly differently and, and can be think about the championship, that's when it's going to come unstuck. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're you're dead correct there. It's just what, gonna, what he's been doing is work. So yeah. This what this what sixty points up for grabs in total. It's twenty five for a race win. Uh, the two main race, then t- an extra ten for the sprint race. He's thirty points ahead. So what is it? Thirty points ahead, fifty five. He just needs to win one race, right? Yeah. Don't do your maths. Sorry. No, no, I, I, I yeah. Failed. Okay. What one race? Okay. Is, yeah. Yeah. Because the race one on Saturday is a, is a twenty five point race. So yeah. Yep, you're quite right. Ah, <laughs> yeah, but finally, if Ray finishes, yeah, okay, whatever. Tiger, yeah, but yeah, we'll take. Don't worry. Hey, <laughs> why did why did you say, why did you throw why did you put the question? I wonder what he's doing next year for. Uh, there, there was a lot of rumour about him heading to MotoGP. Um, he, he was pretty hot property, turns out. Um, <laughs> my, the MotoGP team's one of them, um, and I'm sure that a lot of World Superbike teams were after him too. So. Uh, I know that they were seriously considering that move to MotoGP, um, but yeah, looks like he'll um, stick in with Superbike for another year. I, I hope he does uh, get the shot yeah. in MotoGP. That would be great for for the sport to have him there. Well, Murph and I were talking Speaking about how of... exciting Super uh, MotoGP, uh, sorry, Superbikes has been. Eh, Murph and Carl Fogarty on the SBK site says the same thing. He says he had, can't yeah. remember a year when Superbikes has been so exciting. Well, probably when he was riding back in the day, stealing championships <laughs> off um, of Aaron Slight, probably. It was probably back then. But um, uh, speaking of people switching uh, switching between championships, uh, Likawona is heading to World Superbikes next year. Um, not got a ride in uh, MotoGP next year, so that's a bit of a switch the other way, which doesn't... Well, which we see a bit of, don't we? A lot of MotoGP riders that finish their careers yeah. there end up in World Superbikes, so that should be... That'll be interesting to see how he goes on a, um, on a Superbike for Honda. It certainly will be, and then they've got Debbie Vierhe as his teammate as well, who who is a young um, charger from Moto2. Um, mm. So... It will be interesting because uh, Honda, have, I mean, they have the two riders, oldest riders in the paddock and, and great riders in that, but um, to, to bring two really young, really fast guys over from MotoGP will be super interesting to see how that bike performs with them on board it. And then we've got Siren coming as well from that MotoGP paddock. So, yeah, let's hope. It's always really interesting seeing those guys come from MotoGP because they either come and do really well, like Batista and Nicky Hayden have, or... They kind of just don't perform at all. Like we've seen Tito Rebat, um go from Moto Two World Champion to oh, giving up pretty much halfway through a World Superbike season because he was so far back all the time. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how those young guys go, and I, I hope it adds to the competition because it sure has been exciting this year, and it will be awesome to see. I think it will. It even I think it will. And we'll probably be yeah, talking to you. We'll probably some young blood, and we'll mm. probably be talking to you on t- on Monday, won't we, for a pre-record for uh, Sky Speed about this all because we haven't spoken to you for a little while. So uh, that'll that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, all right, thanks, Abby. Have a lovely weekend. Have you set a date for the wedding yet? Oh, for God's sake, Steve! Oh, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. He's just—he's just hunting. He's hunting. Oh, yeah, that's good. No, that's fine. To, that's, you just he's keep, hunting to see if he's on the list. You that's just, all you, he cares you, about. You, 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 <laughs> that's all he cares about. 
<laughs> you just keep having those lovely, him, lo- him, him. lovely romantic stay. Oh, well, you're my number. You're my plus one, Murph. All right, we're done, Avalon. Say hi to Jakey Forrest, and we'll talk uh, in early next week. Okay. Well, well, do. Thanks, guys. Look forward to catching up. Enjoy the weekend. <laughs> 8.48 on race control. Our fastest female superbiker, Avalon. Uh, she's in good mood, huh? She's really excited yeah. about the weekend. It's great. All well, right. She got to talk to us. Well, to talk to us. oh, there you go. It's about you now, is it? Okay. Uh, back Not in a moment. Us, this is race control. If you're into cars, get into Repco. Bloody proud sponsors of the Repco Bathurst 1000. You're listening to Race Control. This is Race Control winding down for another Thursday evening with Stephen and Greg and Supercars. Race is 29 and 30 this weekend and lots to look forward to because there's just two 250-kilometre races, Murph. Super soft tyres and refuelling, a minimum 140-litre fuel dump. Uh, race 29 is 8.35 on Saturday. Uh, live on Sky Sport and 4.40 Sunday afternoon. That's race 30 live on Sky Sport. Uh, SVG, 337 points ahead. 300 points up for grabs. Does he go for it? Does he go for it and be champion-elect before Bathurst? <laughs> Just had to get all that, Is that information a- in. What kind of <laughs> what? Have you have you been watching SVG for the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? Yes. So oh, okay. Um, well, no, but there is only he only he only has only one, one way. he only has one way of attacking things <laughs> and going about things, and that is and that is full blown attack. So okay. I'm sorry, but um, that was a loaded question. He well, I don't know. He, He's out there to win, and and he's that's it. That's all there is to it. And and if that means uh, at the end of the weekend, which there will be, I listen. I for seeing any bloody you know thing that is um, uh, out of his control, uh, I think he leaves leaves the weekend wow. uh, champion this year. So I, I just can't can't see it any other way, unless his teammate decides to crash into him or T-bone him <laughs> on purpose this time or something and ignore some more team orders, which is effectively it's his team. Next anyway, year. Yeah. he's going to be the boss next year. I would tell you, mate, I tell you, that on the weekend was Jamie Wincup getting blurred lines between driver and part-team owner. That's ex- that's all that was. That was him going, you know what? I don't need to do what Mark Dutton tells me. I am his boss. And <laughs> you, can look, you can see it on their faces. You can yeah. see it on Mark Dutton's faces and the guys in the garage. You can see it on their faces. They're going, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, this is this is you know, we've lost control. Well, he we've made it quite, he made it clear, control. didn't he? I've only got a couple of races left. He, I mean, that's the born winner in him, right? And so stuff yeah, stuffed him. Yeah, orders. but that, that was more. There was more to it. Oh, than okay. That. There was there right. was there was that was I've I've actually I've put money into this team and I'm a part owner. That's my opinion of it, and it has been suggested in other articles throughout um, this week. But uh, we'll see what happens this week. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it because Erebus have been on a charge. Will Brown got that yeah. first win. They'll be fast again. It will be 250 k's. Will be about very much a very different race to what we've seen in the last three weeks because of the uh, tire dig radiation around that 
that place. So uh, it could be some very interesting strategic calls being made. And David Reynolds is back as well. He's had all his COVID yeah. jabs. We didn't think he'd come back, actually, didn't you? No. There was some suggestion he might not come That's back at all, but he is back. So mm. Luke Yulden, who will be his co-driver at Bathurst, uh, doesn't get to do three in a row, and David Reynolds is back. And we are done for another edition. Edition number 10 of Race Control, brought to you by our good really? friends at yeah, that's right, Repco. 10 weeks. 10 weeks, mate. Still going strong. All right, we're done. Our thanks to all our guests, Peter Adderton, Brent Stevens, Avalon Biddle. Uh, pardon? Haven't been fired, so that's good. What? What's that? Haven't what been you... sacked. Ah, 10 please. weeks in. Haven't been sacked. No, we've got to go. Hey, mate, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you over the weekend, all right? Take care. Okay. Oh, okay. Ha, 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 ha.